Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. You're on Team Human, Conscious Intervention in the Machine. This is where we explore and celebrate the great conspiracy, people breathing together, fortifying the collective human organism, and building the solidarity required to make a world where life and culture of all kinds can thrive. This is not a mere revolution. It's a renaissance. Playing for Team Human today, New York State Assemblyman and candidate for New York City Public Advocate, Ron Kim. Under the guise of economic development, we've literally given away every year between 8 to $12 billion to the biggest corporations in the world. Ron will be helping us understand the power of local grassroots activism and how to make government a thing of the people. It's time to intervene on our own behalf. I'm Douglas Rushkoff, and you're on Team Human. I've been traveling on book tour. I was in the UK this week, and... It just seemed like all around me, everybody is waking up to the problems of capitalism and climate change and desocialization and Facebook. I, I think it's really easy to underestimate the significance of all that's been happening this past couple of weeks. And if anything, that's just the way mainstream media pundits and politicians want it. Thousands of children in Europe and Great Britain, they walked out of school to protest against climate change in action. They had rallies and they did interviews with cynical reporters. And these kids articulated the science, the economics, and the political ineptitude that's responsible for the this climate catastrophe and progress. You know, they made really clear... Uh, urgent demands that the adults currently responsible for business and government policies accept short-term inconveniences so that today's young people will be permitted to live out the rest of their natural lifespans. 
And then British Prime Minister Theresa May and other members of government in Europe, they imply that the kids were simply playing hooky and that their time would better be spent in school. And the very same day as the UK and European protests, Amazon succumbed to local activists from Queens and canceled its plans for the headquarters in Long Island City. And the, the company had secured the blessing of New York's Democratic mayor and governor, but it was unable to convince this local minority of people on the ground who feared that Amazon would be as extractive and gentrifying to Queens as it has been to Seattle. Right. The, the evidence would be just, just last year, Amazon successfully shot down a proposed tax for affordable housing in areas where it has already forced out local residents. Yet this startlingly unlikely victory gets derided by establishment Democrats and business experts alike as the naive, self-defeating foolishness of inexperienced fringe activists. And it's really easy to be dismayed by all this naysaying, particularly when it comes from people and institutions who are purportedly friendly to progressive causes. And we mustn't. If anything, I've come to believe that real change, dare we call it revolution, it will inevitably be ignored and denigrated and ridiculed right up to the moment it happens. And maybe, just maybe, it is happening. I no longer accept the story that climate change is happening too gradually for our society to notice and respond. I don't even believe that metaphor about the frog passively sitting in slowly heating water until it boils to death. You know, As real scientists inform us, when the water gets too hot, the frog jumps out. Frogs are not stupid, and neither are we. A civilization that grows aware of its own destructiveness can wake up and take the actions necessary to avert apocalypse. But the, the widespread dismissal of humanity's rapidly accelerating victories against the forces of ignorance and racism, sexism, runaway capitalism, and species extinction and hubris, it may be frustrating, but we should take them as signs of success. These conversations are not occurring on the ground here in the real world anyway. They're taking place in corporate boardrooms and TV studios and social media platforms or even the paralyzed halls of government, utterly disconnected from flesh and blood reality. And even if these spokespeople weren't utterly cynical and dishonest, they still wouldn't have a clue about the relative significance of what's happening in the real world about which they offer their judgment and expertise. In fact, the very content of their ridicule is valuable for what it reveals about their false assumptions and faulty constructions. Instead of feeling insulted or dismayed by their attacks, we should listen to what they're saying. They're involuntarily exposing their vulnerabilities. Theresa May, for example, she derided Britain's school-age climate activists by claiming they were cutting school, the equivalent of truancy. So let's break that down for a minute. She's not just implying that fighting for one's life is a form of play, but that school is a form of work. Since when? 
as as Britain in particular should remember, government-funded school was not meant as a form of work, but as compensation for a life of work. A person who worked in the coal mines all day deserved the basic dignity of being able to come home and appreciate a great novel or participate intelligently in representative democracy. But like most people today, the prime minister thinks of school as some form of job preparation, an extension of work. Yeah, corporations now externalize the cost of job training to the public sector, so much so that kids walking out on school is understood as a labor protest. Well, good for them. Likewise, the New York Times was desperate to understand how a small pack of loud, ill-informed New Yorkers could have rejected Amazon when it made so much economic sense for us to have welcomed them. The paper turned to this guy, Bradley Tusk, who was Mayor Bloomberg's former campaign manager and now working as this leading fixer for Silicon Valley firms who were looking to win government concessions. Tusk, he explained that unlike Uber and Airbnb, which leveraged their apps to deliver their lobbying messages to consumers, Amazon didn't do their homework. And the supposed lesson here is that Amazon should have paid folks like Tusk more money and then manipulated people through their smartphones or maybe purchased full-page ads in the New York Times. The underlying assumption is that the more corporate propaganda they paid for, you know, the, the better they would have done to dissuade local activists from heeding the warnings of their peers in San Francisco and Oakland and Palo Alto and Austin and Seattle or any of the other cities that have been made unaffordable by the combined impact of economic disenfranchisement and residential inflation. Even the premise that New York City lost jobs by rejecting Amazon is is pretty specious, as if scattering those 25,000 jobs through the rest of the nation is a bad thing. There's nothing management likes more than turning workers of one place against those of another, as if the workers of Cleveland or Memphis were somehow the enemy. Maybe activists in Queens are waking up to Marx's idea of the international proletariat. No, this is not silliness. This is what it looks like when we speak truth to power. We are undermining the contention that things can't get better. Don't expect their affirmation or congratulations. And when they're defeated, let's try to treat them with more compassion and respect than they're treating us. I'm Douglas Rushkoff, and you're on Team Human. My name's Aaron Barnes, and I'm on Team Human. I'm Fred Turner, and I'm on Team Human. I am Tessa Lana, and I'm on Team Human. I'm Amy Herzog, and I'm on Team Human. I'm Jacinta Gonzalez, and I'm on Team Human. Team Human is working. Last week, the day after we aired our show with Amazon protesters, the company chose to cancel its planned Queen's headquarters. No, it wasn't our doing, but we're definitely part of something that's happening for real. So please do join us by going to teamhuman.fm and clicking on support. Team Human may not be a movement in itself, but each and every guest is a trailhead to ways of getting involved. So come to teamhuman.fm, check out the show notes for links to working with our many players. And you can also find essay versions of my monologues at Medium, which also hosts our podcasts. This week... I'm honored to be speaking with New York State Assemblyman and candidate for New York City Public Advocate, Ron Kim. There's so much, so much to talk about. So you're right now in the midst of a, of a race yeah. for 
position of public advocate. Yeah. Of public New York advocate. City. New York City, this is the second highest office, citywide office. It's one of three citywide offices, mayor, the controller, and public advocate. Uh, the first uh, citywide special election, the, uh, the, the public advocate that occupied that seat, Tish James, won her seat uh, to become the next, who became the next public, uh, the, the, the state attorney general. Vacated that seat on January 1st, and the mayor called a special January 2nd. And now we have a February 26th special election. And then a bunch of people from New York decided to run for this thing. Yeah. And they only get to do it for like a month, right? Or what? Right, right. So so people, a lot of us expected this to occur. So people were preparing. I jumped in relatively late uh, around December. So some people announced back in October, November, anticipating Tish James to win the general election to move on. And right. it's not a left-right thing. It's like one election for it's Republicans one election, and Democrats. You take everybody. it all. It's, you're actually not identified as a Democrat or Republican. It's an open election, so you have to come up with your own party line, which is actually uh -huh. a lot of fun, you know? So we were, our first take at it was people over corporations. That's our platform of the campaign, people over corporations. Now, the public advocate does what? I mean, because the mayor is supposed to be a public advocate too, right? Well, I think the mayor is more like a private advocate <laughs> <laughs> than a public advocate these days. But but how did but yeah. they come up with this job? Has it always been around? No, it, it was it was it was created in the 1980s. I think it was 1983. I think it was when it was first created. But so correct, someone I like Koch to, was mayor, or, or right? But it was created with the intent of of, of for the first time in this in the country of dedicating someone uh, to be the chief ombudsperson. The, the chief watchdog for the for the for the municipalities, so you're supposed to be the first in line to check the the mayor, the executive, the, all the government agencies if they're not serving the people of New York. So by design, this was supposed to be protecting the public and and put the needs of people first. So it's almost someone who's 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 being paid to be slightly adversarial to the mayor or something. The ultimate checks because we you know because the, the city government is unicameral government. Meaning, so what does that mean? It means that there's is one body, the city council, it's not a bicameral. Like there's Congress no, right, with the right, Senate right, and right, there's assembly. no Congress, there's no Senate. It's one city council, 51 members, and one executive. With so, the mayor. With the mayor, right. Yeah. So our forefathers, they, they wanted uh, the ultimate checks and balance, which is why they created a bicameral system. Right. In order to balance that out, give, a, give a, an extra layer of checks and balance, uh, the public advocate was created as the ombudsperson to be the checks and balance to our city government. And that's like check and balance, like partly for corruption-y stuff? Corruption, lack of services, lack of prior, whatever, like, in, like for example, like NYCHA, the subways, all these issues that the people every single day are complaining about, but the mayor is not really delivering or the city council is introducing solutions, but oftentimes it's resolutions. You know, we're, we're calling on the state and the federal government to do A, B, and C. It's not real solutions. So the public advocate's role was designed to offer real solutions and be a real voice for the people in New York. Right, so for example, and it's interesting because you said, okay, so you're the anti-Amazon candidate. Right, so we had a governor who said he would name his child he would rename his child after Jeff Bezos or something, right. or name it Alexa, right. you know, if Amazon comes to Queens. Right. And the the mayor, who is like, I always thought was the progressive people's guy and, right. you know, sanctuary and all right. that, right. letting in the ICE facilitating right. Amazon server, whatever, 
come to Queens. And you would say that you you have some concerns about something like Amazon coming to Queens. Oh, I was, I, it wasn't even about, for me, uh, the deal. Like I was out there from the beginning when, when they wanted to bring a distribution center. I've been anti-Amazon from the start. I mean, I just don't think putting beyond any support for the growth of such a big monopoly is helping our local economies. It actually hurts our communities. By design, the, 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 the Amazon is structured to extract and exploit as much money and value out of our communities as, as possible, as much as possible. So why are we doubling down and giving away money for that kind of growth? It's not the kind of growth that I'm looking for. And, and, and furthermore, like politicians for decades have used words, overabused the words like growth and jobs right. to, to, to justify. Uh, the giveaway of trillions of dollars, literally trillions of dollars, if you if you if you combine them all over the past like thirty years to mega corporations, when every economist recently have proven that there is no statistical correlation between these corporate incentives and giveaways with actual economic growth. Right, and there's actually a, a, a and this is what I wrote about. There's actually a negative corollary right. between corporate growth in a community and the community's wealth. So you can end up, say, uh, say Bloomberg or whoever's mayor now, um, de Blasio or somebody wants, oh, look, all these sovereign wealth funds are going to invest in a giant piece of real estate, a 90-story, multi-billion dollar residencies on right. West blah, blah Street. Right. Isn't this great? But you really look at it and you think, well, what's happened here is now more of the city's assets are being controlled by foreign sovereign wealth funds, nothing against foreigners, but by non-local money that doesn't have an interest in the community. Now, the mayor is for this. The only way I could figure it out is the mayor and the governor like this just because it means there's more assets in their jurisdiction, even though they're not owned by local people. Right. Oh, yeah, that and I think it's the mayor and the governor, right? Right. And, and why does this help them? Why are they happy about this? Yeah. I and mean, I, I think they're stuck in the outdated kind of technocratic neoliberal mindset. I mean, they, they, I think the mayor and the governor genuinely believes that the bigger the company, the more centralized, concentrated of a power you come from, the, the more efficient, the more productive, the more they're going to produce economically. I think they genuinely believe that. I mean, that's, right. that's, that is the, the, mind, the neoliberal mindset. A lot of the 60s and 70s, when they went to school, that's, that's how they were taught. And they were taught yeah, that, right. obviously, because right. actually neoliberals were paying for the departments and economics <laughs> departments to get started, but right. that's a conspiracy we don't even need to get into. Right. So, so they're, they're doubling down on the very philosophy that they were trained to think. And it from, makes yeah. sense to a lot of people. Like, all right, right. Amazon's a multi-zillion, trillion, gillion dollar company, right. going to plop down a big old thing in the middle of what seems like nowhere, just scrapyards or some right. projects or right. little bodegas and people that don't matter anyway. Right. You know, plop it down there right. and then create jobs for tens of thousands of beautiful Queens people who can't find work. Right. So right. what's wrong with that picture? Right, right. And I, I think Amazon is the ultimate example of a society and a government that prioritized consumer you know, friendliness, productivity, and give away anything, as long as they provide satisfaction at the end of the road for the consumer, right? And, that was, and you could justify any kind of giveaway. 
even though they're literally exploiting and, and disrupting every single market there is. Even bodegas they wanted to take down. That's the next next on the radar. You know, every small business, every mom and pop store that's good for a democracy, good for competition, has been wiped out and destroyed by this by this internet giant. I mean, it, it is it is a super monopoly. It's not just a monopoly, in my opinion. It is a super monopoly. They become the market for everything. Right. Well, the obvious question is, well, they're going to do it anyway. So let's say we get them out of Queens. Oh, you can't come to Queens. Then they're just going to do it in New Jersey or, or, or I was going to say Staten Island, but that's New York too, right? Well, they have, they have a distribution center <laughs> in Staten Island already. Yeah. So yeah. it's like, well, because you got the boat place there. They love that kind of thing. Yeah. You know? So if, they don't, if you don't do it here, well, then other people are just going to get the jobs instead of us. And we're right. still going to get all of our, our right. businesses screwed anyway. Right. Why not feast on and, them? And that's what um, not just Amazon, but whether it's sports stadiums, any, any corporate interest for the last like many many decades have utilized this especially in america right. pinning cities and states against another and which is why i have legislation around this called called the ending corporate welfare act uh, which is calling for interstate compact i already have seven states that's dropping this in legislation to come to a compact agreement we're not going to participate and compete in this race to the bottom corporate giveaways um, and that's why in europe they completely banned uh, state aid or corporate welfare because they already recognize it's bad for the economy and there's no correlation to growth. But here, all these multinationals take full advantage knowing that they can go state to state. And, and, and I mean, Amazon was the most egregious case. I mean, yeah. they actually did this huge competition for like a year right. and putting mayors and governors, putting up stupid YouTube clips right. of how they're primed for Amazon. Like, yeah. it was but ridiculous. A, but that's a yeah. page from the playbook that the yeah. automobile companies did when they looked right. for right to work states and right. the race to the bottom of who's going to pay us the most money right. to hire your people at below livable wages. Right. Or that Walmart does. When they go to a town and figure out right. like a vacuum cleaner, how are we going to undercut every local retailer, then become the sole job provider, yeah. and then not give people livable wages and suck down the wealth welfare role right. until the whole community is bankrupt, then close up and move to the next one. Right, right. So so if, if at least if we kick in New Jersey and the Northeast states to, to agree to this compact, I think we can take we can take a strong stand and a statement against corporate America that so we're no longer gonna compete in this race to the bottom kind of behavior. And now this is strange talk from a New Yorker. You know, New York, we're supposed to be New York. We're the the New Amsterdam. We were the the trading stock market, New York Exchange New York Stock Exchange capital of everything, although derivatives, I guess, happen in Chicago or somewhere other than here. We are the thing. And you're speaking against the, the philosophy of Manhattan, which is provide no value, but make money by orchestrating the value creation of everybody else. Right. Right. I mean, I think they're... And they're coming home. They're coming <laughs> home to us. Right. But I think there are plenty of new 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 Yorkers and new generation of thought leaders that are on the opposite side. They understand that our economy is not working, you know, for everyday people. It's, it, is, it is completely rigged beyond explanation. And they're sick and tired of it, especially the young people that are graduating with but the lifetime of student debt and they can't get a job anywhere they understand fully they're not they're smart enough to recognize something is not working you told me to get this degree borrow this money and get on this treadmill now i'm here like i can't pay my back by loan exactly so, right, i got right, a's right, i got a master's right, degree right. i worked hard like you said i'm right. smart and i'm capable right. and 
Manhattan is not livable. Where's right. I mean, even I know it was more there was more crime in the eighties, no. but I was I was able to live in Manhattan in the eighties, working nights, typing for law firms, and during right. the day right. trying right. to do my theater. Right. And I was part of what right. made not to be egotistical, but me and my community were part of what made New York a vibrant place that people wanted to come to the Strand and Veselka and and and. St. Mark's Books and St. Mark's Comics and all right. these places that are going out of business right. now. Right, Astoria Bookstore is like the one last one standing yeah. in Queens. Yeah. You know, so it's yeah. like, well, if, if yeah. there's no room for actual people here, right. then how is that attractive to anybody? Right, yeah, there's no, we're not creating value anymore. There's no, there's no creativity, there's no imagination, there's no real entrepreneurship that's being created. And, and there's no support. You know, government support, and we did this to ourselves. From from Margaret Thatcher, Ronald, woman, they shook hands, and they said, "We're gonna get rid of antitrust, or <laughs> well, not gonna get, we're not gonna enforce antitrust right. anymore." Because as long as you're good with the markets, as long as consumers are protected, you can get away with murder. That's right. pretty much what they said. As long as the price years. is right. low, the cost could be as high as you want. Exactly, <laughs> and, and and every state, every city follows suit after that. You know, so even at the local level, we can actually go after these corporations. Every attorney general at the state level can practice at their capacity uh, of pursuing antitrust laws, but we no longer pursue it because we're following the federal standards of what it means to be economically sound. And we're scared. If we become, if a state becomes known yeah. as, oh, they're mean, they don't like monopolies, then they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna go somewhere else. Well, right. Dell, we're going to put our factory here, and right. BMW, we're going to put it over there. Screw right. those guys. Well, that's what the governor's staff is doing, actually, right now in, uh, on social media. Oh, well, you, you want to be remembered for, for, for scaring away jobs? You want right. You're going to be the politician going to go campaign on losing jobs for the state of exactly. New York? Exactly. Then our education right. taxes, school taxes is going to go up, because right. we're responsible for everything right. now if there's no... Right. Forget the fact that under your watch, you ruined upstate New York. You didn't invest in infrastructure. You didn't, you didn't invest in the core products that make our communities better. But, uh, but instead, you invested in casinos, right? You, you put in billions of dollars in economic projects that have failed in upstate New York to real estate developers that haven't delivered anything of substance. Now you want to give billions of dollars to Amazon. Now you're having lunch with Elon Musk, you know, trying to fix the MTA with Elon. Did you hear about this? No, but they're going to put yeah. tunnels with him or right, something? Right. He's already having lunch with Elon saying, oh, I think Elon's got the best solutions the for the subway. The boring company. Yeah. Right. I mean, so it's already, I mean, it, it, and, and the public, you know, I think they're finally waking up to the truth. Right. There's a public consciousness, thanks to people like you that have put this out there for decades and, and, and just really speaking the truth. I think people are waking up and realizing that this is all first. I mean, there was this age yeah. that I I was born at the end of it when there were these things, and I don't understand them precisely, but these things called authorities. Yeah. I don't mean like authority figures, but like the MTA is like an authority yeah. or there'd be like a bridge and tunnel authority. Yeah. So America's, uh, the city's infrastructure and things yeah. get built by these authorities, what what are they? So what's this alternative way where you don't have Citibank build a stadium, yeah. but what is this other way that things happen? Yeah. No, it, it's one of the ways that we've been giving away trillion, billions of dollars right. to the biggest corporations in the world but by using these quasi-government agencies. Whenever you hear the word at the end of a government agency, an authority or a corporation, like economic development corporation, I know that we do a lot of work with them, yeah. but they're also responsible for, all, for cutting the checks without any oversight to companies like Amazon 
and big corporations. Um, and they do it under these, this outdated law, the Urban Development Corporation Act, because by law, this, the New York State Constitution clearly says we can't give money to private companies. You can't. You can't subsidize their incentives. It's clearly is a paragraph that says you can't do it. So we created this act and created this quasi-government agencies to do that for us. Right. And for the last 40 years, you know, people have taken complete advantage of this by dropping words like oh, economic growth, then we're going to have productivity. Under the guise of economic development, we've literally given away every year between 8 to $12 billion to the biggest corporations in the world. But they build us something, though, right? They'll like build a city hall or a school. Well, I mean, some, yeah, I mean if, when you break it down, like some, of, there are some people that build uh, buildings or, or or give back nonprofits and capital improvement. But there are many in that mix that are completely extracting our money out of our states. It's, they don't they don't add value. I mean, they're, we're literally just giving away billions of dollars to some of these corporations that are taking that money out of our state. And that would be like things like, uh, and I don't know a lot about it, but they uh, four prisons they want to build. Right. One right in Queens, like in, in, in Forest Hills, they want to build one of these prisons. Well, Forest Hills, uh, Whitestone, you know, we're, right. you know, instead of fixing the core problem, which is that there, there are thousands of, of young black and Hispanic men stuck in Rikers Island, which is not prison. This is just a whole thing because of a broken criminal justice system, uh, because people are abusing bail um, to actually punish people. Instead of getting rid of cash bail and instead of actually doing something substance of substance to fix it, we want to just transfer them to different prisons and different communities. You know, and, and, and meanwhile, privatizing and building more prisons. Right, and process. if we privatize the holding period, basically, right. then we've created an incentive to make the holding period longer. Right, right. Right, aren't right. we just creating right. an industry in delay? Right, right. <laughs> the whole objective is to, is to shut it down and figure out how to get all these people back into society, get them the proper help, get them expedited hearings so they don't have to wait a year and a half to three years to get a trial. So we need speedy trial, get rid of cash. Because bail is, is a very, this is a very critical component of what we're working on Albany right now too. Because bail was never intended to punish people. But when you come from a poor background and you can't afford $500, to, you're gonna be stuck in Rikers Island for years. That is wrong, and people understand that, and they use that to punish people that haven't been convicted. Because um, then at least we get our jail sentence, and right. by the time you get to trial, well, if it's a, if it's a, a, the sentence served already, yeah. then you got your sentence, and you just let them go. Right, and, but 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 young men are, are literally literally getting bullied. They're getting, they're committing suicide because because most none of them were convicted of any crime. You know, this is a holding cell. You know, but it's, it's one of the most horrendous conditions right. you could imagine. And in the holding yeah. cell, you're not yeah. even eligible yet for the kinds of, uh, uh, in theory, you know, the therapies Thera and no. the, the education right. and, and that you would them, get in a real many, prison. Right. Many of them have mental issues and addiction issues. They should be getting help right away, but they're just stuck there, you know, surrounded by other very angry, you know, people. Who kill them and rape them and everything else. So... Going back a little bit, how did what's your story? You were a nice little <laughs> Queens public school child. Yeah, yeah. So I came here uh, to the country when I was seven. I'm, I'm an immigrant. Uh, my parents and I came here when I was seven years old. I was the only child of 
immigrant parents who ran a, a grocery store in, in the 80s. And, and they got here a, through, through an act? They got here legally through amnesty? Yeah, or what? 1987. Uh, my uncle was the only Republican at the time of Korean descent, I think, in Flushing. He was like a dentist. And he came here uh, and he became, joined the army. Uh, he went to a, a dental school uh, and he became a dentist. And he joined the army and through his status in the military, he was able to sponsor his family members and come here. Chain immigration. Right, right. Uh -huh. so... So, so he sponsored his, you know, my grandmother, my my dad, and a number of family members to oh, come great. over here. Um, it was 1987 that I immigrated here, and it was I moved to be moved to Flushing from like South Korea. From South Korea, uh, the Mets had just won the World Series in 1986, um, and Ronald Reagan was the president at the time. And my uncle, being the uh, a Republican. Party member, I was a big fan of Ronald Reagan. He he named me literally after Ronald Reagan. Oh, that's the so moment sweet. I, <laughs> I don't tell people Ronald Reagan Kim. Right, I tell people I was named after Ron Darling, not yeah. Ronald Reagan. Do you have a middle name? I do. It's not it's, Reagan. It's not okay, Reagan. Okay. Imagine that. <laughs> yeah, but but it's it's very fitting. It's all right, Ron. Yeah. Ron today. Yeah. If we went back to to, to Ronald Reagan era then, taxation, right. that's better than anything that AOC is asking for, right? Right. right exactly. <laughs> yeah. Immigration too. Back yeah. then, they would be considered yeah. communist. Right. Bush and, and and Reagan. The way they talked about immigration back then, like like it's like progressive Democrats yeah. talk about it now. I mean, it's it's such a. I don't know what's happened to our parties. It's so divided. Right. So I often say, let's just bring back the socialist policies of the Reagan era. Right. And I'll be satisfied with right. that. Yeah. You know? Right. <laughs> so you went to school. Uh, yeah. I, I went to a public school in Queens. Um, Which one? Yes, PS? Yeah, PS20 and PS32. Uh-huh. Uh, and then we moved to, uh, to the Bronx, to Riverdale, where I went to PS24 for a couple of years. And then I went to uh, Riverdale Country Day School uh -huh. from 7th to 12th grade, where... I had no idea what these private schools were about, uh, but I, t I was at the right place, right time, took the right test, played the right sport, and uh -huh. then I, I was recruited, and oh, I ended up playing football at, at Riverdale, and then I went to college in upstate at a small liberal arts school called Hamilton College, uh -huh. where I continued to be a student athlete. And later on, I got my master's at, at Baruch uh, in public policy administration. And then you decided to go into this, or you did other stuff first? Oh, no, I was, so right, I, I studied poli-sci in, in college, and I was a philosophy minor, and I came back to Flushing, um, where my parents were living, and I just jumped right into the local scene. You know, I was, I didn't have that much, I only had a few thousand dollars in debt. I had a, a good scholarship, luckily, so I was able to take a $25,000 job to become a local elected like community liaison or organizer type. And I spent four or five years just working 60, 70 hours, learning the ropes, learning what the civic groups were, what the local community council meetings were, what a community board was. They don't teach you that stuff when you're in college, you know? Right. Like, what, and it's every summer I'm knocking on doors for people's local campaigns. Cause I just want, I mean, I was in full osmosis mode. I just wanted to, well, I was so fascinated because in college, when you study political science and philosophy, you know, you learn about Socrates and John Locke and Rousseau and the social right. contract. And like, there's a th theory of how the world should work, right? So you walk out of there, right, this is a democratic theory, this is how people should be living. And to be exposed to the reality right? and to really learn how things really function and how political parties are designed and, 
and the in the organizations and the party bosses and, and the local elections and district leaders to assembly members to congress members i mean it took me about three years of rethinking everything rewiring everything to learn from the ground up and then you ran for new york state assembly person i ran for city council first when i turned from queens, from queens when i turned 30 and um this was in 2009 and I failed uh, miserably. I didn't even make the ballot. It was it was it was like the most excruciating experience because uh, I just thought, hey, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, I grew up with this neighborhood. I know the neighborhood. I feel like I'm competent. I know my stuff. But to experience the campaigning as a candidate and not lining up any endorsement, didn't get any institutional support. It was very uh, eye awakening. So I, I spent the next couple years following that, really just relearning. Um, how to actually run a campaign and how to be part of the ecosystem better. Um, and, and the following that experience, uh, an opportunity came to run for the state assembly. And that's what I won in 2012. And what's an opportunity mean? Like somebody in the so, Democrat was retiring or something? Right. So the former member ran for Congress and she won and there was an open seat. Um, but then everybody wants it, right? It was very competitive. There was, um, I think, six people total who ran for this open seat. And I won with about 200 votes. Uh, now, is it yeah. from the outside? Is it like on like billions or something where you decide you're going to run for something, and then all these kind of mafia guys come and scary people and guns and things and money and graft and does that like is people in black cars like pull up and there's get in, there, run. there's a at the, lo the more local you are, there's a lot of that going, a lot of that kind of dirtiness. I mean, every for whatever reason. Every time there's a competitive race in my backyard, my cars, uh, my minivan gets vandalized. Like I had my tire slashed, my windows broken, all the time. Whenever there's a competitive race going on, so there's there's some ugliness that happens on the ground. But beyond that, um, there's a lot of what I call political currency. You know that people in positions of power they want to make sure that you wait your turn. Or you're a team player. Those are the, those are key words that you often hear, especially when there's a younger person, a person of color, or a woman that's trying to disrupt the status quo. You know, you often hear words like "wait your turn," "you got to be loyal," "you got to," uh, you know, "be a team player." Those are some common, what I call political currency terminologies that we throw it around, especially from the establishment. So when you ran, were you accused by the like the old cigar, you know, Yonkers Raceway elite, whatever they are, of, of New York, that, oh, no, you're not, it's not your turn. You should be the assistant to the somebody. Right. So when I ran for city council, that was what I encountered. Um, right. They already, they already had somebody in line. Uh, they wanted to pick someone else. They already endorsed that person. Um, and I was just a, a rogue person that didn't belong in that mix. Uh, and for a 30-year-old, you know, it was very intimidating to, to go through that experience. Um, but it taught me a lot. You know, it taught me about how uh, the organization is set up, uh, those type of organizations, and why they exist and, why, and how they've existed over the years. Um, and it, oftentimes, like, you know, it's easy to demonize and vilify them. But, but for many people who don't come from wealth, who don't have, don't have access to money, Unless there is an organized group that's able to kind of pick you up and make you part of an ecosystem to give you opportunities to run for office, 
like how could you even think about running when whenever especially when campaigns cost so much money and and you got to raise a lot to be even part be to, to be even be competitive um, so we you can you have to like understand why these type of organizations going back to Tammany Hall have existed in New York City's history um, to uh, to to give structure and, and to give an ecosystem um, and, and space for people to actually participate. But campaigns like yours or or Alexandria, they came they were more bottom up. I mean, there was not initially some like billionaires in golf clubs saying, "Oh, come on, Ron, come to our meeting and you're our you're our man or you're our boy," as sure. the case may be. You're not. You didn't get that privilege, but you got something else, right? You got sort of people like unions or teachers or... Right. So when I, so when I ran for the state assembly seat, you know, I spent, after I failed the city council, I spent a lot of years lining up that kind of support that I desperately needed when I failed the city council race. So when I ran for the assembly, I did get a lot of that support. You know, a lot of the unions, a lot of the groups were behind me because I figured out how to do it. And I, and I spent two or three years lining, lining up that support. But for someone who do not have any of that support, like AOC, yeah. I mean, it is mind-blowing how she did it. And you know, how she, despite all the odds, everyone said, that's why I think the entire, not just the country, the entire world, you know, when you hear her journey and how she got there, it, not only is it inspiring, but it's, it's something that gives people hope. That, you start right. to think that, right, well, yeah. maybe we can beat climate change. Yeah. I mean, why not? Right, you know? right. The maybe, maybe, yeah. Yeah, maybe, yeah, we can change everything from the ground up. You know, it, it just doesn't have to be rhetoric. Right. Now, yeah. you came to my attention as a New York State Assembly person uh, because of the uh, this proposal that you put together for a kind of New York Office of Economic Resilience, did sure. you call it? right. And yeah. that was, I mean, that's kind of bold because I remember when... Uh, when Obama was running for president, right. I started writing articles saying, if he's going to transcend brand Obama, right. then when he becomes president, he can't just bail out the banks to lend money to factories, to give money you know, to, to sure. employ people. Yeah. That he's going to have to just distribute a PDF right. around America. Uh, I'm just saying a document right. around America that says, here's how you do a local currency. Here's how you do a favor bank. Right. Here's how you do an employee-owned right. business. Right. And let communities come from the bottom up. And, right. Zero traction, even from friggin' Bernie's people. I couldn't get anything. But yeah. then I saw your thing, and I'm like, oh, this is it. You actually want to go do it. So then I first thought, is yeah. this guy either crazy, <laughs> or right. does this mean right. that I'm right? You know. Right. So yeah, that was neat. So yeah. how how did you think that up, and then yeah. how did it develop? Well, I think I think for me, it's really individuals like yourselves who've been writing about this for for many years. To, I think Schumacher was uh -huh. someone else who many many years ago, and, and Jimmy Carter too. Yeah, right? you know he was he gave that famous um, communities over corporations speech many many years. He warned us of a society that emphasized you know on on over consumerism that we're going down the wrong path. He told America yep. that, and it sounded yeah. too Christian to them. I think right, right. you know it sounded like it. it oh, right. we have to deny ourselves, you right. know. And he'd wear a sweater to show that you could lower your thermostat. But that's not really what he was arguing. What he was arguing was that flourishing right. can come from the bottom up rather right. than from the top down. Right, right, and and even the internet, like it was a beautiful thing when it came, but now it's completely consumed yeah. by these monopolies, and that that hide behind words like big tech. They think the big tech has solutions for everybody. They get away with everything. But when when the internet and every search for a product is done on one internet 
platform, some uh, 40% of the searches, something is desperately wrong right. in this space because you're supposed to create a collaborative commons, right? We're supposed to create this economy of abundance through the internet. We can actually do peer-to-peer -peer transactions in a pure way and get rid of these darn intermediaries that have been extracting money and value and wealth from us for thousands of years. For the first time, we have the technology to do it and we're not grasping that opportunity. We're just letting people extract from us left and right. Mm -hmm. Finally, I think people are waking up. You know, the, 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 new, the new economy, the, the crypto, the the community currencies, local currency, people are finally kind of understanding what technology was supposed to meant to be. And I just want to support that policy-wise by going after the, the, the top financial regulatory body in the state of New York and setting a tone that we should put together a better system to measure our extraction versus circulation index to to making sure that we can support cooperative businesses, not just top-down vertically integrated corporations. All these things have to be done internally from the ground up. Now, if we got such an office, yeah. what would you see like them functioning to do? Like someone calls them, I want to try to set up an employee-owned you know, window factory in Troy, New York. Can you help me find a business model that works for this? Or what would that office provide? Yeah, it doesn't have to be any more... Uh, traditional corporate models, you know, that are that are just totally profit driven. You know, we have so many different models that work with different economies, different communities. And we I want to, I want this office to create a menu of all those options, not just the two or three things that are designed to just extract money from us and offer that those communities, that a sustainable community first model where it can actually circulate wealth better. Um, where there's plenty of money if we can and to go around for every single person in the community if we design things better. Right. And then it's a matter of, I mean, so the town I live in, Hastings-on-Hudson, yeah. I'm like one of the few kind of new economy thinkers, whatever, yeah. in this town. And, you know, they'll come to me often and say, uh, uh, oh, so how could we get people to buy more local from the stores here? Yeah. And I'll say, oh, well, we could do a discount currency. We could just do a a, a local shopping card, yeah. even that doesn't cost doesn't co cost anyone anything, no discount, whatever. But when you're giving gifts to people, you give them a fifty dollar gift certificate to local business. I mean, this is not rocket science. But if there were a way for towns to a, a resource they could go to, you know, and you're right, and even if it was online, it says, well, does your town produce anything? No. Okay. Well, then try one of these. Right. If, you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think so. Ithaca had their Ithaca time right. uh, many years ago. I think they're trying to bring back a, a, well, the a guy different left form of finally, that. and now right. it's you know right. Well, what well, Hudson Valley is actually trying to do something with the local currency system, uh, but right now there's I think there's roughly around four thousand of these community currencies that are around the, around the world. Like twenty years ago, maybe there was like a handful, but now from Europe to to Africa, people are picking up on these concepts. We're just not. We're just so stuck in this mindset of, of not understanding that things can be circulated better. Right. Yeah. I mean, part of the trick for me is, I mean, and maybe it's my own fault for naming this show Team Human. I mean, people want to join the team. Yeah. And they want there to be, like, well, let's create an organization or an institution or meetups for people from Team Human to gather together and figure out how to kind of fix the world and fix the economy and fix the climate. And I feel like uh, that negates the fact 
that we live in a country that has created so many civic organizations and government opportunities for citizen oversight. Mm. And you're sort of an example of a person who said, well, no, I don't have to recreate the wheel. There is this thing called government. There are these rules that are written down. I just want to play too. I want to get in there. And do you think that that there are ample opportunities already for people to get involved without sort of recreating new organizations? Yeah, I think I think it, 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 because we designed it to be this flawed, you know, to reward only vertically integrated organizations and concentrated powers and, and centralized organizations, we can redesign it if we had the political courage to make it accessible to people. So make sure that there's enough wealth being circulated at the at the bottom of the, of, of our communities. But it's but it's it's about having the political will and courage to to start redesigning the system better. I mean, I mean, even I mean, this is this isn't a nuanced idea. Right? I mean, I mean, I think we all know, going back to even Gandhi, like he's been talking about this for all his life, right? uh, creating this oceanic circulatory economy that takes care of the most the most local needs of the tiniest village versus the biggest cities. And this is something that the people have been talking about decades, economic justice, that's driving our current social injustice. Um, but is the, way to, is the way to begin addressing that yeah. as, as individuals? Everybody yeah. emails me, what can I do? I want right. to join. Where do I go? Shouldn't, shouldn't they, I mean, and this sounds r- rhetorical yeah. when I say it, but should they, I guess I should, should they just go to their local planning board and their local school board? That's what I've been telling people. Like, just, there's... If you care about education, find your school board, start going to those meetings, run for the board, yeah. you know. Yeah, I mean, we're seeing it. We're, I mean, we're seeing, like, in places like LIC, Long Island City, where Amazon is supposed to go, uh, we're seeing uh, a number of young people joining the community board, attending the public meetings, even in Flushing. There, there's so many people and their the recent grads asking me, all right, how, how can I join the community board because I want to be a voice. So, so... There are current, you know, the, uh, civic groups and structures that you can you can you can participate and you can take over and be the next voice of change. But you know, there's also opportunities to be part of new organizations. You know, like the the the, the DSA organizations, the Democratic Socialists of America. There's so many chapters now. I can't keep count. Every other day, there's a new uh, committee or a chapter or membership group that's coming up. But it's giving young people and new pe- uh, people that want to participate. In, in, in new platforms, the opportunity uh, to be part of the process. It's weird. Last yeah, week, you know, yeah. in the uh, State of the Union address, the president of the United States was made this like big thing about, we're not going to, you know, we hate socialists, basically. You know, and then got people yeah. to stand up and clap. Right. And I'm like, what, what exactly is he saying? I mean, do you see yourself as part of that sort of democratic socialist movement? Yes and no. You know, I, I, I think I want to go further than what DSA is offering. I, right. I, I'm more of a, like, I believe in a full decentralized, liquid democracy. I mean, I think DSA, a lot of DSA members actually agree with me as well. Uh, right. I think DSA is, is as close to that right now in giving a much of a decentralized voice. Right. But they still right. do, because it's socialist, right. they still do think of it as redistribution of Right. of the spoils of capitalism after the fact, rather than a true superfluid economy, right. which is what you're describing, right. where everything is accessible to everyone all the time. Right, right. And we can get there. I mean, we have the tools and technologies. It's about putting the right resources, building that infrastructure, 
which is why I'm fascinated with the crypto space too. I mean, I think there's a lot of decentralized crypto folks that are thinking the same thing and that are brilliant people working on this very problem. Um, and I'm learning every day from, yeah. from that community. Yeah, and when yeah. crypto had to go through its dot-com yeah. boom, right. you know, which it kind of did, and right. now it's in right. that same place the internet was in right before like Facebook and right. Twitter and all those things came. But we want to make it like, okay, so let's not have it be the next round of VC social media companies, but right. let's see if the people can actually grab this stuff now. Right, right, yeah. I mean, but, but there, yeah, but there's also very money investment driven um, Crypto. I mean, it's just like anything. You know, there's there's people who are in it to to make money or to actually see it as an investment for our future. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. there is a possibility with crypto that if it really replaced the the two column ledger mm. and let people start looking at money less in terms of every credit has a debit, mm. and instead in more creative generative ways, which are allowed by a different accounting system. Right. Then it's like, oh, I get it. We can have any economy we want. We don't need to have this stupid one we're living with. Right, right. And you can capture different forms of value right. like, all around us. Like, why do we have to subject ourselves to only a limited amount of things that we define as valuable in our society, which was traditionally created by, by mostly men, right, uh, and, and that reward certain type of behaviors to fit their mold of success and profit, uh, which is why it, it, when we talk about stuff like debt, uh, the majority of people that are suffering with student debt are women and people of color. You know, right. so everything that we design, you know, advances one type of people and then disadvantage and puts other people in disadvantage, financially and economically. Right. I mean, for people who are thinking of going into public service, and hopefully, you know, three listeners out of the thirty thousand or whatever that are listening to this <laughs> decide to go into yeah. uh, politics. That. That matters as much to me as, as 30 people deciding to vote for you as a result. You know what I mean? Because yeah. it's like changing the world. Yeah. But how do you stay alive doing it? I mean, a New York State assembly person makes like $6, right? <laughs> I mean... Yeah, we, we, well, we finally got a raise in like 18 years, I think. So <laughs> but is got it a little a livable, bit more money. Is it a livable wage? It's, uh, it's definitely. I have, I have three young children, a four-year-old and a two-year-old and a newborn, or three young daughters. So it's, it's very difficult. To, to survive. I mean, I am one of many New Yorkers, actually 80% of us living paycheck to paycheck. Um, so I'm one of them. We're constantly living off borrowed time and, and credit, just like anyone else in this economy, you know, but because I, I but I do, I do feel fortunate my wife is, you know, doing well and she's able to, to work um, and provide a decent, you know, balance in our life, you know, in our lives. Um, so I'm in a, I'm in a, a more privileged position than the next to be in this space. And I feel I have a responsibility to tell the truth. Right. If I'm not, then what's the point of doing this? Like right. just, just to put some band-aids and try to tell a bunch of people to stay on the treadmill as long as possible and keep borrowing and, and give that salesmanship of hope. No, that's, you know, I, I think that time has passed. You know, you gotta be more honest with people. And we gotta actually tell people that the economy can be better. We could have an economy of abundance but we're just not doing it because of people in power they want to get wealthier off our backs. Right. And do you see, I mean, there's you, there's there's AOC. You see others coming in now. I mean, yeah, with, and these, AOC, with these... She's the ultimate example of, you know, of someone who did it the right way, who was brave, who was courageous, and who's not missing a beat, not an opportunity. And she's giving not only me, but I think every single politician cover 
at the very at the most local level to the state and, and federal level to do the right thing. Right. Like she, I mean, she when she's speaking out in Congress or a committee meeting, she's getting twenty five million views or something ridiculous, right? Like she is, uh, she is the, the media sensation that's giving all of us cover to do the right thing. And if you can't do it because you're so beholden to special interests, and if you if you can't get out of it, then just you should pass that baton on. Right, go get someone, a job. Go get a job. Yeah. To give it to someone who can do it, you know, because there are plenty of people who's willing to step up and, 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 you, and be under or with AOC and, and ride this journey. Because it is literally a kind of a ride or, or, or change or die moment for us. I mean, people, Trump just tweeted something about like, about our, uh, the new Green Deal plan. Yeah. But, if we don't change now, we're literally gonna die. If, and if you actually take that mindset, change or die, then we will act. You know? And that's what AOC has done for us. Yep. The Green Deal, you know, breaking debt, a new economy, making sure we have an economy of abundance. And every time we talk about these terms, the far right and the conservatives often throw words like, oh, you're, an, you're a socialist, you're a communist, you're an anarchist. That's an easy way to just write people off. It's flack, what well, it's Chomsky yeah. talked about. Yeah. Right. yeah, it's complete BS. You know, this is about people. This is, it's, not, it's not about philosophy. Right. This is about people and investing in people. And the way to keep it real and, and kind of yeah. non-ideological is yeah. when you keep it local. Yeah. In other words, when you're trying to do something on some weird national level, it's like, how is Trump really going to address yeah. these kinds of issues? In some ways, I mean, other than pushing for certain kinds of uh, economic uh, uh, reform, not really. But it, it's That's why I keep saying if, if we are in a renaissance, I feel like this is the rebirth of the city-state in the face of the nation-state. You know, this is where local and municipal government mm -hmm. can actually address the needs of real people in ways that giant you know, corporate-sized behemoth national government can't. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's also, we, I think we also need a lot of reform. You know, like take New York, for example, like New York City versus New York State. Um, there's a middle ground that we often neglect. You know, be, uh, our tension between local versus state. Um, there should be also kind of a middle agency, a middle government that can better function to serve the real needs of New Yorkers in New York City. Uh, versus like the upstate, you know, regionals, kind of like where you live, uh, that often gets neglected. Um, we, it's always about New York City versus Albany, but there's a lot of things in the middle that get lost. Um, yeah, like a whole state. Yeah, the whole state, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah but, but again, we're living off of, of, of a system that was designed like 250 years ago. You know? yep. Even the two-year terms of no term limits. You know of, of how they did it. Like two years goes out. Back, back then, two years was a long time to like exactly. to govern. But that now, means you're running. You're running for office. Yeah, you get, you get elected, and you're in a fishbowl, and you're 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 campaigning, and you're always like raising money. Yeah, and there sh it should be longer terms, and there should be term limits for almost every politician in this country. Yeah, in with the good air, out with the bad. Yeah, and AOC's taking that approach. She's she says she's she's working as if she's not going to be reelected again. Like every day is the last day in office, and that's the mindset that she has. She's, you know, the word she's not afraid to lose a re-election, right? And that is something that's so critical for politicians these days. Because every politician that that I know of, I'm surrounded by, is so fearful of losing their re-election 
and and they and that's how they measure their success of being a politician. How many times are they going to get elected? How what kind of a legacy am I going to leave? Mm. You know, for, for what kind of a road is or a bridge is I'm going to get renamed after myself? I mean, I mean that it, it's it's the ultimate like extrinsic motivation of feeling validated and that and and, and lack of character. Uh, and, and and that's that's not what AOC stands for. We need people with intrinsic motivation uh, that are that are purposeful and that are willing to do this, whether people validate or not validate you. Right. That's political courage, right? Um, this is what I'm thinking. This is where I'm gonna go. I don't care if I'm gonna get reelected. Right. Like I'm gonna do it. I'm, this is what I believe in, and I respect that. And that's the same for for private citizens too. Yeah. You know, do the thing you want to do in order to get it done. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the rest will follow. Right. Well, thanks. Thanks so much for uh, uh, dedicating your life so far to betterment of our city and other people. And it's, you know, it's it's rare, but uh, uh, it's certainly refreshing. And hopefully it, it opens the way as just as, you know, did AOC opened the way for others. You may have opened the way for her, you know, on a certain level. So, so yeah. thanks so much. All right. Thank you. Thank you for all you do, Doug. I mean, I'm... For Team Human and, and to writing your books, I'm a, I'm a big fan. I'm going to continue to support your work. Um, oh, and, and I look forward to maybe joining you in your future, in future panels. Definitely. Yeah. And you're, right. you're our first. Yeah. I think we're, am I, is Team Human allowed to endorse a candidate? I think we are, right? We're not a media company. I don't know. Is there a law? But we do. I do. So thank you. Good luck. Right. I, I would vote for you if I lived in the city. <laughs> but I don't. So I'll get someone else to. Right. Thank you, Doug. <laughs> right. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Doug. Thanks for joining Team Human. Our guest today was New York State Assemblyman and candidate for New York City Public Advocate, Ron Kim. If you live in New York City, you can go vote for Ron or the candidate of your choice on February 26th. Team Human is a production of the Laboratory for Digital Humanism at Queens College. You can support us and get free or discounted admission to our events, as well as other goodies like my Team Human book, and access to our message boards, helmed by our new community manager, Michael Bass. Our associate producer is Josh Chaptelin. Our virtual futurist is Luke Robert Mason. Team Human is produced and engineered by Stephen Bartolome. I'm Douglas Rushkoff, and you've been on Team Human, our last best hope for peeps. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.